Hello, and welcome to Bullshare. This podcast is a production of UB Law Response from the University of Buffalo School of Law's Clinical Legal Education Program. I'm Kim Diana Connolly. I have the great honor of serving as the director of our clinical program and also the vice dean that helps coordinate our experiential opportunities school-wide. We're excited to have you join us today for this episode and hope you enjoy. Welcome. This is Professor Kim Diana Connolly. I welcome our listeners to today's Bullshare podcast, which is hosted by the UB Law Responds University at Buffalo Law School Clinics. Today, we're speaking with two great student attorneys, Caroline Sircone and Elizabeth Hall. They're going to talk with us about the importance of estate planning in the era of COVID. Both Caroline and Beth are currently enrolled as student attorneys in our clinical program at the University of Buffalo School of Law. They serve in our brand new COVID response legal clinic. Beth, why don't you start out by explaining to our audience about the recent project that you and Caroline shared, kind of expand on that on our UB Law Response blog, talking about your research that you did as part of the COVID clinic. Sure. Uh, well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk today. And uh, Caroline and I, we kind of have an interesting take on the whole COVID situation, whereas most people would think that um, COVID is strictly related to healthcare or um, something like that. We are looking at it from the estate planning angle. And uh, we both have a background that um, makes that of, of particular interest to us. So we decided to take our project and the blog that we created for the UB Law Clinics and really focus on the estate planning documents that people need to have in place, not only just generally, but more specifically now that we're facing a pandemic. When we were doing research for the, the blog, you know, there really are a lot of great resources available out there and for lay people to get information, specifically through uh, organizations like AARP, magazines that are popular out there like Kiplinger. They can break down like the big ideas uh, to be easily accessible to people, but we wanted to have one area where people could just go and find information on these topics um, and really understand why they're so important to have and why particularly during this COVID era they're important to have. That's really great. Why in particular student attorneys is it important to, to kind of look at this? Is there something about the way the documents should be prepared? Yeah, I definitely think there is a specific way that they need to be prepared. We want to make sure that there are a lot of documents and people will use online resources to create them or online companies uh, that, to create these documents, but they really do, some of them have real state specific information that you have to make sure that you're abiding by. And you want to make sure, you know, in general, when if you're going to take the time to create a document that talks about your final wishes, how you would like your property dispersed, um, how you want your health questions answered, you've got to know that those are done properly and are going to be done according to your wishes. That is really important information. So Beth talked about a lot of important documents when she was getting us set up for this conversation. Caroline, can you talk more about what those documents are that she's referring to? Sure. Um, one of them in particular, we're talking about COVID. Um, we know it is a health care issue. You know, it's a, it's a disease. 
So one of the first documents that comes to mind is the healthcare proxy. And what the healthcare proxy does is it appoints someone that we call an agent to speak for you when you can't speak for yourself in a medical situation. It gives the doctors, hospital, you know, medical facility permission to speak to someone other than yourself to understand what your wishes are for your own health care. The second thing that comes into mind that is related is the living will. Sometimes it can be a combined document of a healthcare proxy and living will. Sometimes it's not, but they operate alongside each other. One names the agent, the healthcare proxy. The living will, however, expresses your wishes. So it gives your medical directives of what you do and what you don't want to have done. That includes things like pain relief administration, um, whether you want to be resuscitated in a uh, particular situation, whether you want artificial breathing help, such as use of a ventilator, which is why that becomes so important with COVID. Because if you end up in the hospital, there is a chance that you might need a ventilator. And that is one of the main questions they would want to know is if you want it or not. Um, so moving out of the healthcare realm into what else would you need in this pandemic era um, would be a power of attorney. Now, a power of attorney, it points a person to handle your finances and your, I call it personal paperwork, that's not necessarily related to what you do at the hospital, but it can be your medical bills, um, but also any other type of bills, managing your finances, having access to your assets to be able to pay things if you are unable to. And then finally, the last one is our last will and testament, which would be if, God forbid, you pass away, what would you like? How would you like your asset to be distributed? Who would you like them to go to? And if you don't have that in place, the state decides for you. There is a testacy law that will state, you know, who would get your assets if you pass away if you haven't made a last will and testament. So those four documents are extremely important in this period of time to make sure that those around you who would be able to help you know what you want, how you want to go about doing things, and how you want, once you've passed away, your assets to be distributed. So Caroline, that was a really helpful summary of the documents we're going to hear a little more about. Before we go into details about those documents, can you kind of talk about the overall thinking that clients need to do as they're thinking about this, either just in general estate planning or particularly in this time of COVID? Sure. When it comes to you know planning these documents, you need to come up with who would you trust in particular situations. And sometimes it's not the same person. Who you may want to be your healthcare proxy or someone who speaks for you regarding your health to a medical professional may not be the person you choose to help you with your finances if you're unable to. Sometimes it is the same person, sometimes it's not. So you're going to want to pick someone that you, one, trust, two, want to be able to help you and not be overwhelmed by the project. They would have to be able to say, yes, I could do this for you if the time came that you needed the help. Often we ask people to pick more than one, your primary choice, and then someone else who, if that person is 
unable to say they're sick or they passed away a month before you got sick, that you have backup of someone who would be able to do that for you. It does not have to be a family member. Often it is. It can be friends. It really can be anyone. So another role as executor, someone who helps as the fiduciary of distributing your assets. These can be three different people. They can be some of the same people, but you would have to come up with who you trust in these particular situations to be able to speak or act for you when you are unable to. That's a really helpful framework. I think that our listeners will appreciate having that organized for them. So let's just back up and go through the four documents you said that were key to be thinking about in this era of COVID as we're thinking through estate planning now. Um, Beth, can you talk more about what exactly a healthcare proxy is and what its purpose is? Yeah. Um, you know, I think probably of all the documents that we've discussed so far and Carolyn's given an overview of, um, probably the one most directly related to COVID or that health crisis is the healthcare proxy. Because this is something that if uh, anybody has ever had experience of either going to the doctor or going into a hospital, even for a minor surgery or anything, that's one of the first questions they ask you when you're, you know, checking in for an admission or they're asking family members because the doctors and the healthcare staff need to know where your care is going to go and who's going to be responsible for making decisions for you if anything were to happen. So a lot of times if you answer the question, no, that you don't have a healthcare proxy in place, they're going to refer you maybe to a social worker there at the hospital that's going to sit and talk with you about uh, filling out one of these documents right at that moment. And, you know, while that's helpful and they have that on file, I think it's probably a lot better idea if you've had the time to really sit and consider um, who it is that you would want to help you with these decisions, who that person is in your life. You know, a lot of people, they think, oh, well, automatically it'll be my spouse or it'll automatically be my son or my daughter or someone really close to them. But, you know, sometimes that's not the best person because it's, you have to really think about how that person is going to be in a situation that's really stressful. They're going to have to make a, perhaps a life or death decision for you. Um, whether or not, you know, do we, have the person have you go on a respirator? Do we take you off a respirator? And that can be hard for those people that are closest to you to make that final decision. So you really have to have the time and the consideration of who best fits that role and also come up with someone who could be the backup person to that. And I just think, um, and Carol and I both agree that if you uh, decide to create a healthcare proxy, it's better done at a time in your life when you're not faced with a health problem or a surgery or something that's very stressful in life. It's better to have those things completed when you're able to really think and consider them. If I could add on to what Beth had said, um, the one thing that also is encouraged is if you feel comfortable, we suggest that you would talk to the person that you want to name because often they're surprised by some of the choices. It's good to have a conversation, not just name someone and just put a couple lines and direction. But sometimes, especially if it is a family member that you pick, sometimes they're surprised whether you do or you don't want some type of particular assistance because they might have chosen the opposite for themselves. 
So having a conversation with that person before you're in that position, as Beth had mentioned, where you're in the hospital and they're asking you to fill something out, um, really helps with the planning. That makes a whole lot of sense. And so that summary is really helpful of the healthcare proxy. So when we're thinking about the next in the list that you presented with us, the living will, can you explain to, to the listeners how the living will is different than a healthcare proxy? I mean, these both deal with healthcare. Why do you need both? And what's important about making that decision? Yes, both a healthcare proxy and a living will deal with the healthcare needs of an individual. The proxy names the agent, the living will gives the directions. It will answer questions specifically of, do you wanna be resuscitated um, or not? Would you like mechanical respiration, which is a ventilator? And in what circumstances, sometimes that can be qualified. If you are interested in receiving water and nutrition by artificial means, yes or no, or if that's qualified in only certain circumstances, and are you comfortable receiving antibiotics or pain medication? Um, these are all the important directions that the doctors will be looking for when they're treating you in a life-threatening situation. One thing that I'd like to mention is for those people that may be listening to this who have a healthcare proxy or a living will already, but maybe haven't looked at it since COVID, I would highly encourage that it's looked at again because it was very common for someone to say, I don't want to be on a ventilator, but in their mind, they were maybe over 80 with a terminal illness. But if you are today possibly getting a disease like COVID, would you now want artificial means of a ventilator to help you? So even if you have some of these documents, it's good to go and review to make sure those are still your same wishes today if you catch COVID, in addition to what you had in mind when you had written your directives at that time. So if you especially have strong feelings about any of these measures, it is so crucial that you include them in something as the living will that allows you to outline your preferences for the medical community to be obligated to adhere to. And I, I think just adding on to what Caroline was saying, I think that also goes to why it's so important to talk with your family. Because so many people, you know, as you're filling out the form and you might be 40, 50 years old, you're thinking, well, of course I would want to be resuscitative. Or no, I would never want a ventilator. I don't want to be kept alive that way. But it's important to have those conversations with your family ahead of time or your agent ahead of time and make sure that you know, you know, well, I don't want a ventilator to keep me alive if uh, I have no brain activity, but if there's hope of survival and I just need it to get through a, a specific period of time, yeah, then I do want it. So you can also outline things like that in a living will, and I think that's important to know. Those are such helpful, helpful explanations, and I'm sure the listeners appreciate it. Let's move on to the third document you mentioned, which is the power of attorney. Why would this document be more important to really look at and think about in this COVID pandemic era? Mm -hmm. You know, now that we're talking about the power of attorney, we've kind of switched away from talking about healthcare needs. Uh, we covered that with the healthcare proxy and the living will. And now we're moving into more our financial needs. So the power of attorney is actually, in my opinion, one of the most powerful documents that someone can sign their name to. And you really need to consider and think about the person that you name as your agent on a power of attorney. 
And the reason for that is that this document can be utilized while you're still living. And it allows that person that you've named as your power of attorney to work on things that affect your lifestyle, like paying your bills, uh, transferring any funds between any investment accounts you have, completing a real estate transaction, buying and selling stocks. And that's just, an, if you think about all the things that could be affected in your financial life, that's what the power of attorney allows someone to do. So in the event that you became incapacitated and you were unable to do those things, you need to have someone that is financially responsible and able to take on that role. And in many people's cases, that's not the same person that serves as your healthcare proxy. So it's important to take the time with your trusted financial advisor or your attorney and really think about who is that person in my life that I know could handle the responsibility of paying my bills and the stress, you have to add that too, of being responsible for my financial picture while I'm not able to do it. And, you know, we're in an age where this is an unpredictable disease. We don't know what the lasting effects of that can be. Um, Sure, you know, we think about people going to the hospital and perhaps ending up on a ventilator and then going home and being fine. But, you know, if you really listen to the news and hear what's going on with the disease, we have people who have caught this disease back in March who are still having lasting effects from it. And a power of attorney can be something that can last indefinitely. Um, when you really do need the assistance. So, you know, I really encourage our listeners to definitely create this particular type of document with an attorney who uh, specializes in estate planning so they can really explain to you in full detail the responsibilities associated with having a power of attorney so you fully understand what you're giving up and allowing someone else to do on your behalf. And could I add a anecdotal story to match Beth's advice? Um, when my parents were downsizing, they had signed a real estate contract. And in the time period in New York State, you know, it takes forever to close on a house. So there's a few months between when you sign the contract and when you actually close. And my mother had had an incident with her heart that she was checked on. And then when happened was she was admitted to the hospital unexpectedly and needed open heart surgery. So my mother used her power of attorney and had my brother able to complete the closing on her behalf. She was, you know, alive and well, thank goodness, but she was unable to really to attend to the matters and it made things seamless for our family. So when it was very stressful, it allowed us to continue on with how we were trying to help them transition to downsizing in a different stage in their life and it made it seamless. And it was something that they had already had, which was very fortunate. You have direct experience of what you're recommending. So that is very helpful to the listeners. Let's go to the final document that you mentioned in the introduction, the last will and testament. So tell us more about what happens if you pass away without a will. Well, here in New York State, if you pass away without a will, there's a certain order of what the law or the state says, your stuff goes. So if you are married with children, it will be divided between your spouse and your children. And so it's not all to your spouse. It is the first 50,000 of your estate and then half of what's left to your spouse and the rest to your children. If you are unmarried and you have you know, parents and siblings, your estate will go to your parents. doesn't matter how old you are. 
So unless those are the people that, and that's how the breakdown that you wanted, which a lot of people is not, there are people, even if they were going to give to their family members, maybe they would choose their brothers and sisters to give their um, items to instead of mom and dad, because mom and dad are taken care of. And most people have in their mind where they think things should go, but that's not necessarily what New York state says. So having a will gives your wishes legal priority over having nothing in the state saying what happens. Um, And that includes if you have a child and you pass away and they're a minor, picking who their guardian is. And unfortunately, one of the strange ways that a state handles things is, well, you didn't plan before. So now while the state is deciding what your wishes are or who is in charge of your children, but you're still paying for it. So now you're paying for multiple attorneys and all this time in the court. And so that is less money that goes to the family members that you want it to go to. So planning is very crucial. There are specific state laws. So as Beth had referred to in the beginning, just doing something generically online can cause trouble if it does not mesh with state laws, um, including simple things of how many witnesses you need to have to make this a valid will. Different states have different requirements. So this has been a really fantastic overview of all the important things that we need to think about in estate planning, especially in a time of COVID. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the Bullshare UB Law Response audience? Sure. I think that the most important thing to take away from this conversation is think about what your desires are in all these situations that you don't want to think about. Proper planning is so important and it makes a very stressful situation less stressful for both you and your loved ones. It is hard to think about these things. No one wants to think about their mortality or becoming ill. However, it might be that this was some, just the reason that you decided to do these documents, but maybe it just made a different situation a little easier because you had them in place. Um, but I would urge you to think about what you want. If you already have planned documents to review them because re- viewing them in light of COVID may change some of what you had decided before and that it would be time to update your documents to match your wishes. And in particular, what you think about the use of a ventilator, because in this time period, you know, this is an intervention that if you end up in the hospital, there is a likelihood someone would have to make that decision if you would like to use a ventilator or not. And we're not saying that you should pick one choice or another. We're just saying make your choice known so we can all honor it. Yeah, and I, I, re- I agree with everything Caroline said and the importance of planning. And, you know, I think that there are times in our lives when kind of like you're faced with the need to make a decision and you need to take those opportunities when they're presented to you. None of us who are listening to this podcast have ever lived through a pandemic before. So, you know, things happen in life and you need to be prepared. And if you aren't prepared at this moment, Maybe this is the time that you really need to stop and consider, you know, how would I want my assets distributed? What health decisions would I want made for myself? And I think it's important to really stop and consider the people in your life that 
you think could make those decisions on your behalf, whether they be financial or healthcare decisions, and begin to put some of those things down on paper with a trusted attorney who specializes in estate planning. And I think it'll provide you, you know, with peace of mind. And also, if something happens to you and people are scrambling to figure out what needs to be done, now you've provided them with peace of mind too, because they know exactly what you would have wished to have happen. Thank you so much. This has been really fantastic. And I just want to shout out to our COVID response legal clinic student attorneys, Caroline Sircone and Beth Hall for sharing with us today. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Bullshare with UB Law Response. Thank you for listening and being a part of Bullshare from UB Law Response. If you'd like to learn more about the vital work our clinic students attorneys are doing, providing pro bono access to justice for those who otherwise would not have legal and policy representation, head on over to www.ublawresponse.com. There you'll also be able to find other episodes of this podcast, but also a giving link to support our clinic students' work. We also have some great blogs from our clinic student attorneys and from other UB Law students who are working toward justice for all. On behalf of UB Law's clinical and experiential programs, Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, and be your best you.